you appoint an incompetent human being who looks at children sleeping on the floors of offices, who looks at the problem that's been going on for over a year, is standing before a committee, and trust me, those are not the most fiscally conservative members of our Republican caucus that they're standing in front of. And they're standing before them saying, tell us what you need. Do you need money, law changes, rate changes? Do we need to pay people more? What do we need to do to fix this problem? And they have nothing for them, nothing to offer. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky news and politics from a conservative constitutional perspective. And today we've got some topics to cover. First, the Cabinet for Health and Family Services was in front of a legislative committee last week regarding them storing children in their offices for days on end. We'll go over some of the highlights of what they had to say and what lawmakers had to say back to them. Next, uh, Commissioner of Education Jason Glass has decided to step down and move on. We'll go over why that might be, what we've seen during his tenure, and what we can look forward to in the future, depending on who's going to end up replacing him. And then finally, YouTube pulls a Bashir attack at an ad against Bashir being ran by a GOP group. We'll go over why they pulled it. And then we'll talk about some of the different ramifications for their actions. And do they have a right to pull it? Do they not? Is it legal? Is it illegal? And we'll kind of discuss those kinds of topics around that issue. But we'll have all that and more today. However, before we dig down into it, please like, comment, share, subscribe, spread the word about the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I do this Monday through Friday. New episodes released every day at one o'clock. I know those of you who've started to listen to this every day, and I know there's hundreds of and thousands of you that do, have become more informed on the issues. And I think it's important that citizens are frankly more informed about what's going on in their state so they can fight back against the narratives that are being pushed by certain individuals and instead be able to get a freer and better future in Kentucky. So without further ado, the Cabinet for Health and Family Services came under fire a few weeks ago. You may remember I did a podcast about this where they were storing children in their offices on cots. And so what was going on is they couldn't place children. They couldn't find a place to put them. And they were keeping them in their offices, one of which was in Louisville in an old building. They would just sleep on cots or air mattresses. And then they would go to the YMCA every few days for a shower. And they basically had no interactions with individuals from there. And it's quite horrific. It's an awful thing to do. You're taking these children out of these abusive, terrible situations, or at least you're supposed to be. You know, let's assume each one of these children came from one of those situations and should have been taken from the home because God forbid if they were taken from somebody's home and now they're being kept in an office building uh, without proper facilities and entertainment and uh, also as well keeping up their schooling and those types of things. uh, Well, that would certainly be a, a just compounding the real issues here. But they were in front of 
the legislative committee. So this is an interim committee on the cabinet for health and family services. And they were asked quite a few questions about this, but let's go over some highlights from their testimony and let's start off, off with how they began. Now I'm going to warn you as I go through this, as we're watching this, you might see some, the way that the LRC legislative research commission does their videos. Cause they stream all these hearings live and you can watch these happen live on YouTube. Uh, you can go back and watch the entire uh, meetings that these people have on YouTube. You don't have to, you listen to the Andrew Cooper writer show. And I try to keep you up to date on the most interesting ones, but even I miss things. So Please feel free to watch these if you'd like to. But I've taken some some bits out to kind of get across the general feeling from their testimony. Let's go over this first part. So you're going to hear uh, the Cabinet for Health and Family Services talking about when this started. When did this issue start? And uh, just take a listen here and then we'll kind of go over it. This started, saw a little bit of it, probably starting about six to eight months ago, maybe longer. We for. <laughs> We first began uh, in, in 2022 seeing the occasional uh, youth that may need to spend a night in one of our DCBS offices because we were not able to find the appropriate, appropriate placement. Uh, beginning in July, we've seen that uh, trend to, that trend uh, increasing in 2022. So beginning in July of 2022, we began actively tracking um, the occurrences when we had youth in what we call a non-traditional placement. So when a youth had to be boarded in a DCBS office, a hospital, a hotel, uh, or other type settings. So we've been tracking since July of 2022. The first guy you heard is the secretary for the Academy for Health and Family Services. And then you heard uh, the woman kind of jump in to correct him. Listen carefully to what he said. And if you need to rewind, rewind. I'm not going to do it for you. But listen carefully to what he said. He said that this started six to eight months ago or so. Then quickly, the person who really runs the show, because this uh, appointee secretary clearly has no idea what he's doing, something you're going to see a trend of. Honestly, I don't even know why he showed up to the meeting. He should have just shut up and not even said anything because he has no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't get anything right throughout. People had to constantly correct him uh, because of what he was saying. But putting that Bashir lackey to the side, uh, then the woman jumps in and says, look, this wasn't six to eight months ago. This started in July of 2022, a year ago. Because this hearing was just held last week. So that's a year ago. It started early July 2022. That's what she said at first. And then pay close attention to what she said. Following that, she then says, that's when we started tracking this in July of 2022. So this didn't actually start. In July of 2022. This started way before July of 2022. It's just whenever they got off their butts enough to decide to start tracking it was in July 2022. So they've been able to quantify how big this problem is for over a year. And it keeps happening. So how many kids have been in this setting. How many kids are we talking about? We're talking about two, three, four. Well, let's take a listen to what they have to say in this next clip. So we've had, uh, the number is about a uh, hundred and... We've had since uh, the beginning of this year, we've had 87 youth in non-traditional placement. Okay, so once again, Bashir Lackey pipes up. No idea what he's talking about because he is unprepared 
And he is quite frankly, obviously incompetent at his job or else this issue wouldn't be going on. Um, but then his savior comes in to say exactly how many children they've had. We have 87 youths since the beginning of this year in non-traditional placement. 87 since the beginning of this year. We're about halfway through the year. That puts us on pace, if this trend continues, to have about 160 or so children in this situation. 160 children being placed to be held within offices. So why is this going on? Well, what's happening is there are children who uh, these, they, they generally need a higher level of care. Frank, frankly, they're probably uh, misbehave a little bit due to a lot of trauma perhaps in their life. And, and, and there are facilities, the facilities, we have the capacity for them at facilities and places around the state, but people don't want these children because they are slightly, not slightly, but they are problematic children to deal with. And this isn't per se a new problem. It's not like children who are problematic to deal with uh, just kind of started. What the problem is, is that they've stopped being able to find places to put them. A part of it, you could blame on staffing in some of these locations where they don't have the staffing to be able to handle the out of control nature of some of these children, or it could be a, a plethora of issues. Though I do have to wonder, and this is a question I had throughout, and, and nobody asked this, and if I was there, I would have asked them, is how bad, quote unquote, how bad behavior are these children really if we're able to capably handle them being housed in offices with just what a cabin for health and family services employee being with them all day, or do they just sit in there? I, 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 you, you see where I'm going with this. How awful of are they, are they striking and hitting one person and then they get uh, uh, kicked out of all others. So we're holding on to them. What is the solution here? Well, let's see if um, Mr. Incompetent can tell us what a good solution would be. Uh, we've contacted other states and requested uh, what they are doing, uh, and we haven't found the answer yet. We continue to look uh, out of the juvenile justice uh, recommendations was a recommendation for a uh, uh, state-run hospital. Um, I'm, I'm, I get nervous about that. We need that's going to take too long. Um, that will take years. We've got to find something more quick. Uh, and like I say, I was hoping the single case rate would work. I think we're going to have to look at um, uh, seeing if there are ways that we can work with our provider community. We so does Mr. Incompetent have a solution? Well, of course not. He doesn't know what to do with the situation. He'd rather house kids in offices for over a year. He says, well, there's this idea of a hospital, but you know, it would take too long. Well, first off, you're keeping them in state run office buildings without proper facilities. So I don't know what your aversion is to state run hospitals to help take care of these children. Uh, apparently what you're afraid the standard of care might be more le less sufficient than a couch in a social worker's office. But then he says, well, you know, that would take too long. We need immediate uh, 
solve solution that take years. It's already been a year. You've been doing it a year and you haven't solved the problem yet. Maybe if you started with that solution early on, it would be built already. But to say that won't work, that'll take too long when you've had this problem under Secretary Eric, his, like I said, the Bashir lackey, Mr. Incompetent. We've had this problem going on for a year and you have the audacity to look to tell us to tell us that you looked at a solution that would solve all these problems, but it would take too long. Meanwhile, you have 87 children going through this problem. 87. But hey, finding a place to put them other than an office, building a building to specially house these kids. Just take too long. We'd rather keep them on our couches for a year. So David Mead, the chair of this committee, he comes in and asks the million dollar question. The question we are all wondering, what are you going to do to fix this problem? So you've him and hawed. We've asked you for some, some solutions and you've kind of been like, well, we've been looking at Keep in mind, this has been going on for a year. You have kids in an office. For more than a year, this is a big problem. This isn't a, hey, let's meet once a month and discuss. This is nose to the grindstone. We are working all night and all day till we find a solution. These are children that we've taken from their other homes because we say it's too dangerous. It has now fallen to us, the state, to take care of them, right, wrong, or indifferent. Let's not argue about whether they should take taking the kids or not. Which is, kids are here. Take care of them. But instead of finding a solution with their nose to the grindstone, they so far have told us, well, we looked at this, we looked at that, we looked at this, that would take too long. So Dave Mead asks, David Mead, sorry, asked the million dollar question. What solutions, what are some, what are some potential solutions that could be offered for this situation? And um, is there anything that we can do legislatively? to help fix some of this? I think there may be. What I think there may be. You have a problem. You have a legislative committee in front of you. What they're asking you is, what do you need? Do you need money? Do you need laws change? Do you need this? This is a problem. This is an emergency problem. You have children sleeping on the floors of your offices. What do you need from us? And this incompetent secretary for health and family services, Eric Friedlander, says, maybe I might have something you could help us out with. Maybe I'll save you the struggle. He didn't actually have anything to help out with. You would think that if you have a problem in front of you, that is, where do I put these children? You would have a list made out of what you need. Do you need money? Do you need laws change? Do you need this or do you need that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I understand Democrats solve problems by throwing money at it until it's fixed and they don't often have a solution, but he isn't even in there asking for money. He's not even asking for it. 
He literally has no solutions. At least you think I'm exaggerating. There's this back and forth that happens between Cinder Julie Rocky Adams and the Cabinet for Health and Family Services here. And I'll tell you this much. I'm not the biggest fan of Senator Julie Rocky Adams. Not the biggest fan. She's pretty moderate. Um, you know, I've, I've seen her say some things that I greatly disagree with. She is a Republican, but um, she, in my opinion, is not the most conservative person in the world. And I think a lot of people would agree and a lot of independent rating agencies would agree. But I will give her credit for what she says, this little back and forth here. Okay, so you can imagine my um, consternation right now that we have testimony that kids have been in hotels, kids have been in government office buildings, the current um, rate structure that you attempted to use was unsuccessful, we have capacity, and we have the ability to raise rates. So we found that the rates we're not doing you're not I mean with all intents and purposes and I'm very frustrated here and I know that you all are frustrated too but these are all non-answers these are non-actionable items that we're seeing here Julie is asking the same thing we all are asking and if you're listening to this if you're watching this you're asking the same question what are you going to do to fix it but see, this goes into the overall problem with the Bashir administration. They don't like to work with others. They hate doing it. And, 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 and they, they don't like coming to, to the legislature with any of their issues. Even when it comes to children, even when your choice, their choice is going to the legislature and telling them we need money or law changes or letting kids sleep in the office. I guess there's a third option, which is maybe just as likely, is that the sheer incompetence of this Cabinet for Health and Family Services Secretary that Bashir has appointed outshines anything else here. Because I'd like to think that it's not just sheerly we have an idiot in charge of this cabinet. And you can push back on me and you can tell me he's not stupid, blah, 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 blah. Please tell me. You've heard his testimony. You hear what they're saying back to them. They're saying, here is these kids in an office. How do we fix it? And he has no solutions. He has no law changes, no monetary requests. He has nothing. You're brought in to do a job and you are failing to do it. I think David Mead really wraps it up. Wraps up. How I think we all should be feeling about this situation. And, and I think he really covers the frustration I'm having. If I seem frustrated, more frustrated than I should be with these people, and you saw Julie kind of lose her cool too, it's because I'm showing you some clips of about an hour-long testimony that I had to listen to, and I had to listen to these people who have no clue how to solve a problem. We are talking about children here. I'm not even talking about business solutions. I'm not talking about saving money here. I'm talking about find a home for a child and they have nothing. They're not even asking for more money. They have nothing. It is criminal incompetence almost if it isn't. But David Mead really wraps it up for us here. We, we, we've known this problem 
has been going on since July 2022. It's probably been going on a little bit longer than that, from from my understanding. Um, and for us, we, we're not involved in it every single day, so it's just kind of coming to light for us. Uh, and if we're talking about needing to raise rates or we're needing to uh, put more investment into some of these services, whatever it may be, um, both Senator Adams and I are on the uh, budget committee uh, in order to put some of these things in that budget. We didn't hear anything about it the last time we did a budget. Uh, we haven't heard anything about it up until now. And uh, I just think that we need to do a little bit better, I think, in, in communication between all of us in order to benefit the children a little bit more of this state. And I think these are our children that are the most vulnerable of this state, and we have we have failed them in several ways. We have failed them in several ways. Yes. Yes, we have. Well, maybe not we. But yes, you all have. And by you all, I mean the Bashir administration. You appoint an incompetent human being who looks at children sleeping on the floors of offices, who looks at the problem that's been going on for over a year, is standing before a committee, and trust me, those are not the most fiscally conservative members of our Republican caucus that they're standing in front of. And they're standing before them saying, tell us what you need. Do you need money, law changes, rate changes? Do we need to pay people more? What do we need to do to fix this problem? And they have nothing for them. Nothing to offer. Like I said, if you're not upset about that, I mean, it is just, I don't know if it's, it's partially politics. It's partially the fact that Bashir administration doesn't like to talk to the legislature. It's partially the fact that Bashir appoints people who are incompetent at their jobs. At least I point out things like the unemployment uh, debacle that happened with, once again, incompetent, inexperienced people. If you want to point to that, the politics of that being the problem, okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe these people are apathetic and they don't care. I'd like to think that they do care. Maybe they just don't. I don't know. What I know is, is that it is absolutely criminally negligent. Basically criminally negligent. I, I know it's probably not literally criminally negligent, but I, it is, it is got my blood boiling that these people have no solutions. Well, coming up after this, speaking of incompetent, horrible people that Bashir has appointed to things, Commissioner Jason Glass has decided he's stepping down. We'll have that after this. All right. So Jason Glass is stepping down, not serving out his term. Classic uh, move here, tucking your tail and running. Um, there's a lot of problems going on with Jason Glass, certainly. And it's probably a good time for him to exit the writings on the wall. And what I mean by that is obviously Bashir's not going to fire him or sorry, he can't fire him. The board, the, the board of, of education for the state 
who's appointed by Bashir is the one who hires him. A lot of people like to point that out is that, well, Bashir doesn't actually appoint him. No, but he did uh, sign an executive order his first day in office, appointing an all new board that then hired Jason Glass. But putting that to the side, writings on the wall. Kentucky clearly is not in agreement with how he's been running his program, whether it was from him issuing guidance out of the State Board of Education, issuing guidance on transitioning kids at schools, telling them to hide it from their parents, whether it was pushback on bills like uh, a bill that passed this past session that would allow a one a process for parents that find books they don't like in the schools to ask for it to be removed and if the schools still decide they want to go ahead and keep that it then provides the ability for the parent to request that the child not get a hold of that book and of course his pushback to that whether it was if crt him claiming they don't teach crt but then under pressure obviously um talking about some of the things that CRT covers, whether it was bring on diversity, equity, and inclusion, chief diversity, equity, inclusion individual, and so on and so forth. In fact, under Jason Glass, we have seen this Kentucky uh, Education Board spend millions of dollars on diversity, equity, and inclusion types training. Jason Glass is stepping down to serve as vice president at Western Michigan University. And a good part of the reason why he left might be obvious by uh, Daniel Cameron's tweet here, which might be go down as one of the most savage uh, tweets I've ever seen Daniel Cameron uh, put out there. Um, I'm just being honest. I find this pretty funny. So the Kentucky Board of Education had tweeted out new Kentucky Commissioner of Education, Jason E. Glass, to leave post September 29th. And Daniel Cameron retweets that with the quote, one down, one to go. <laughs> and I think that plainly states why uh, Jason Glass was going to continue to have issues, whether it was if Bashir won re-election, um, then facing down uh, having to face down the legislature and their continued attacks on him because of his crazy far left ideals or whether it was facing possibly them removing him from office, which obviously Bashir would try to fight claiming he couldn't do. But I mean, the legislature does have ultimate powers of the purse. So certainly uh, making individual decisions about saying this person is not good. They need to be removed from their office. You would say would fall under their purview. Like I said, Bashir tried to argue them, but you know, <laughs> would he be successful or not? I don't know. Um, but that is an option they could look at or just continue to hassle and hassle and hassle him until he finally relents, whatever it may be. And there's a plethora of options for how anybody could have gotten rid of Jason Glass if they were not, um, if Bashir won. But Jason Glass was serving out year three of his four-year contract. And if Bashir doesn't win, now he's coming under scrutiny from a Republican governor. And obviously, too, as well, Bashir changed the whole entire education board by executive order. You may see a Republican governor, you may see Cameron do the same thing. Um, even though it was argued it was perhaps unconstitutional for Bashir to do so, it was upheld. He is allowed to continue to do it. So turnabout's fair play. Cameron should be able to now come in and appoint his own uh, department uh, or, or board of education uh, board members. And so 
I think that uh, Jason Glass saw the writing on the wall. He said, look, one way or another, I'm either out in, you know, four years or I'm out in one year, but either ways I'm out and this isn't a long-term career place. Plus additionally as well, I can't indoctrinate at the level I'd like to. I'm getting too much pushback from these rudes in Kentucky, these, these conservatives that care about me trying to indoctrinate their children at school. At least you think that he's not. Remember, this is the same Jason Glass whose State Board of Education put out guidance on Senate Bill 150 advising them that because of one letter in the law, they could ignore the entire spirit of the law, and if they so chose, teach K through five about homosexuals. That was literally his guidance. They issued guidance saying to schools, hey, if you want to, you can teach about homosexuality to K through five because they accidentally miswrote this law. Ha, 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 ha. That was his claim. Obviously, whether or not the actual miswriting of the law is miswrote, well, I mean, we'll see. I, I have yet to see any school board decide to not follow Senate Bill 150. Obviously, Jefferson County Public Schools is having a hearing, I believe, this week. They had a hearing last week. I covered that where they had a fourth grader using they, them pronouns uh, testify. They will have that meeting, I believe, again this week to discuss whether or not they're going to follow Senate Bill 150. If they choose not to, then we'll see how that plays out there in court. Of course, our tax dollars funding this out. And it'd be interesting, too, to see how the legislature uh, can react to that, because obviously they're using tax dollars to go against the legislature. You would hope there'd be some funding consequences. But of course, these Democrats would hold out the children as if they're human shields to protect them uh, against any repercussions for their actions. But bring that to the side. So I couldn't indoctrinate the level he wanted to. Too much pushback. So Jason Glass has decided to tuck tail, take off to Michigan. Now, of course, this rumor of him leaving had been around for quite some time. Obviously, a lot of people, including myself, very excited to see him go. But who will they get now to come in? Um, it does also open up an interesting possibility. And this is the real question here. So he's voiding his contract. If the new board signs a new uh, commissioner of education to a four-year contract starting just a few months before Bashir's uh, uh, election here in November, and remember you take office in December, Governors leave and take office in December. So if we see a new commissioner of Ag, or commissioner of Ag, commissioner of education uh, hired by the board, signed to a four-year contract, and they hire the most liberal one they can find, which trust me they will. Now you're looking at the Republican governor being saddled with a commissioner of education that they don't like, and you're left with uh, some interesting different remedies for how they solve that problem, because the they're signed to a four-year contract. Can the governor just come in and fire them? Well, the media claims they can't. There, of course, would be some legal arguments to claim he can. Of course, as well, can the legislature step in and, and do so as well? There's some different possible legal remedies, but definitely would provide a lot harder uh, chance to kind of get rid of it. And that's the other thing. Jason Glass knew I had a year left of my contract. If I stayed, I would end up... Um, not getting my contract renewed in a year. But now this is giving the Bashir uh, administration an opportunity that even if he does lose, 
With Jason Glass stepping down, not serving out his full four years, if within the next few months, the Board of Education hires, appoints, and signs to a new contract, a new commissioner, it means even if Bashir loses in November, that the new Republican governor could be saddled with a very far left liberal commissioner of education on their hands for the state of Kentucky. Some would say that maybe was planned out. Coming up after this, speaking of the Bashir Cameron race, YouTube has pulled Bashir's ad, uh, an attack ad against Bashir, and we'll be covering that issue after this. Finally, YouTube pulls Bashir ad for hate speech. So, uh, the ad they pulled is a 30 second ad. They kept the 15 second of it up, but the 30 second of it they pulled, uh, because it, I don't know. They just pulled it because they said it violated their hate speech. That's what it says when you click the link there. Now, chances are that a whole bunch of butthurt Democrats went in and reported it for hate speech or whatever. And then an automated system within YouTube removed it or some lackey down low removed it, whatever that may be. Who knows? There's a reason why I don't heavily push my YouTube. I am also on Rumble for all those who watch me on YouTube that are looking to switch. But anyways, um, but yeah, they, t they took down this ad, this, this ad that was put out by the, uh, Governors, the Republican Governors Association, um, the the group that helps governors, uh, candidates across the country, uh, and and it's a pack put together. So they put together this ad, and they've been running it. It says paid for by. It's a full disclaimer, and YouTube pulls it down. And this opens up a few questions. A few people want to say, look, YouTube has a freedom of association, of First Amendment rights. It can't be compelled to leave up speech. Um, you know, there's no problem with them doing this, but I, I do want to make sure that we understand exactly what rules YouTube operates under because there's two sets of rules we have to discuss when we talk about what is essentially electioneering in this case. So you can make the claim that YouTube, uh, has this freedom of speech. They can take down whatever they want to just deal with it. And if YouTube was a publisher, I would agree with you 100%. I agree. Newspapers can publish whatever they want to. Um, and, and that's their freedom of press. That's guaranteed in our First Amendment. However, there is a regulator on that freedom of press that doesn't exist for YouTube. And what is that? Well, it's civil law. See, the, the regulator on freedom of press is if you print something that is just completely false and untrue, you can be sued for libel. For an example, if I owned a newspaper and I printed a story about you that said you like to drown cats in antifreeze and there's no evidence of you doing so whatsoever, well, then you could sue that newspaper for libel and defamation of character and damages and so on and so forth. And that civil law, that threat of that lawsuit is what keeps people honest. YouTube doesn't have that. See, YouTube operates as a platform, meaning that they cannot be held accountable legally. This is a carve-out given to them by the federal government to label them the same way we would label a phone company. You cannot be held accountable for the things that take place on your uh, service. So just like a phone company can't be held accountable for a crime planned out over the phone using their service, YouTube 
or Facebook or any social media group cannot be held accountable for the things that are published by its users. It is acting as a utility. And in that way, the fact that it can't be sued for civil damages means that, well, while it's, it's lost that regulator, it has turned to the government and asked for protections. So it's being spared of the consequences of these types of decisions. And I think that's an important thing people need to understand. When we're talking about YouTube, oh, they have a First Amendment right, all these other things. No, they don't. Because if they were acting as a publisher, they had not asked the federal government for special lawsuit protections, they would have freedom of speech, and then we would have the freedom to sue them for when they act in a way that is inappropriate. You'd have the freedom to sue them for putting up false things. We'd be able to sue them for deleting things that were true and claiming it was false. Twitter claiming the Hunter Biden laptop story was false when it was true and deleting all these stories about it without those civil lawsuit protections would have had some opportunities. So that's one way that YouTube is, is actually operating under different law sets than something like a newspaper. The other point of consideration when it comes to YouTube and their freedom, so quote unquote, is that now this is entered the realm of electioneering. And part of the reason why is unlike Twitter, YouTube uh, does engage in political advertising. They engage in taking money from politicians and running ads. And there are certain legal requirements that come with that. You can't showed deference to certain political candidates. If you're going to engage in political advertising, then you have to offer some equal opportunities to a degree. It gets a little funky in digital advertising because obviously there's bid processes and, and other type issues. But when you look at things like TV, radio, um, there are legal requirements that candidates be sold ad time at the same cost. And so when you're looking at YouTube outright banning a defined, a legal, legally allowed ad that has properly been produced by a properly registered political group, it could open up a lot of issues. Also as well, I mean, private corporations are just simply not allowed to electioneer so directly. They can obviously um, do certain things they can donate to PACs. They can have candidates out to speak to their group, um, but they can't uh, full on as a company, for an example, pay people to engage in the process of election actions for a candidate. They would have to donate money to a PAC, then that PAC would have to handle that. That is one of the uh, problems that can be seen with what YouTube is doing. Regardless, it's just overall a pretty bad look for them. And it certainly shows the heavy handedness. We had the Courier Journal articles and then what followed suit several articles from a lot of media sources around the state claiming that this ad that uh, Cameron, well, not Cameron, but this ad that was put out by the Republican governor's um, group was all false, citing no facts of the matter. We covered that in a further podcast. And no matter how many articles they want to run saying, well, you know, maybe that doesn't happen. That surgery doesn't happen. Well, that doesn't deal with one. It does happen. Maybe not in Kentucky, but it's happened in Tennessee. Vanderbilt's admitted to it. So 
you can claim that, oh, gender transition surgeries on minors don't happen, maybe in Kentucky, but they certainly have happened. And so banning that up at the front, getting ahead of that, when we see that going on in other places, certainly very reasonable action to take, wouldn't it be? But of course, their claim is, is that because he vetoed the bill, he didn't say he was ever for or against the surgeries in the veto message. He just vetoed the entire bill in its entirety. Once again, I went through the message with you. He never said he was uh, okay with banning surgeries until after the ad came out. But because that's the case, they now are trying to say it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. Why? Why is it a group of people that are actually okay with gender surgeries uh, on gender change, sex change surgeries on minors are suddenly having an issue? Why is it? Well, simply put, because they know it polls bad. They know that if they were honest, because, and, and, and you know this to be true, take the Democrats out in California or other places. They openly advocate for gender transitioning surgeries on minors. Um, you can watch the documentary, What is a Woman? And you'll see a person who performs gender transition surgeries admitting to, to doing the surgeries on minors. They are for, simply put, doing these surgeries on minors everywhere else. But now when it comes to Kentucky, they're working hand in glove with all their media people they can find in order to try to dispel that Bashir said something or did something that he did do because they know that's unpopular and they know it'll cost them the election. Well, guys, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Editor Show. Thank you all for joining me so, so much. We'll see you back here tomorrow, one o'clock. Remember, like, comment, share, subscribe. We'll see you later.